Christchurch, New Malden. Sunday the 3rd of October 2021, 9.30 service. Tim Davis speaking in the series, How the Bible Presents the Church, the Building of God. <coughs> uh, can everybody do this with their hands? Okay, <laughs> and then can you put them together like that? Because if you join them together like this, you go, here's the church, do that. Here's the steeple, get your thumbs, open the door, and there's the people. Brilliant, you all got that? Because that's my talk. So you can have your next sort of 18 minutes back, yay. Just kidding. Um, I guess we probably should spend a little bit of time uh, looking at what the Bible says about the church as the building of God. I want to start by asking you, um, what do you think about? What, what comes to mind when you envisage or imagine a church building? Um, do you think of a church you know, like this, um, like Christchurch or St. John's? Um, when you picture a church, does it perhaps ever look like this, a bit more basic, maybe even you know, not able to be used anymore. Or could you imagine it looking like this, in fact? Does your vision of a church building have a huge dome like the one on top of St. Paul's? Or maybe a tall spire like the fantastic wedding cake topper tiered one atop St. Bride's Fleet Street, just a stone's throw away from St. Paul's. What would be inside the church building that you imagine? Could it be a huge arena, like some of the mega churches that we see in the USA and other parts of the world? Does it perhaps have a grand organ, like the uh, Frobenius organ seen here at All Saints Kingston? Or are there maybe atmospheric lights behind the worship band and a light-up cross as you might see from time to time at churches like HTB. Why well, don't think any of these are specifically uh, described as the actual template for how to build a church in the Bible. Um, in fact, other than instructions given for how to build the temple in Jerusalem, the Bible doesn't really talk about the physical building of the church. Uh, and I'm pretty sure we're not all expected to fit in one single temple in Jerusalem either. Um, so then what is, what do we mean by the building of God. Well, a key thing I want us to think about this morning is this. The building of God is not a physical building as such, you know, like this, made of bricks and mortar, but a physical presence in all of us and of God dwelling in us. And if that sounds like we are going to be talking a bit in metaphors this morning, it's because we are. Um, but the Bible's full of metaphors, and they help us to understand something more of the nature of God. So what is the church? Now, the church consists of God's people. It's the assembly of the believers in Jesus Christ. The physical buildings facilitate the worship, the fellowship, and the ministry of God's people. But the physical building is not the church. Now, the early Christian church was persecuted. Christians didn't congregate together in large physical buildings. They met together in secret in one another's houses. Both last year and this year, churches across the world were forced to close their doors to help stop the spread of coronavirus. We didn't meet in a common building, a church, 
Yet we still met together as a church, didn't we? Online and through the distribution of services. Church as a physical building almost became redundant. But then what is God's building? What does it mean to be part of God's building? Does it mean to be merely in fellowship with other believers, other Christians, that we find ourselves together with, and with whom we coordinate all the outward things that need to be taken care of in church life? Do we build up a presence of God somehow, simply by being church? Is that what it means? Or do we need to rely on God to come to us and establish the building of God himself? It's not always the easiest thing to try and explain or understand, um, but we can at least start with a dream in the Bible. Um, Jacob's dream at Bethel, which we had read to us earlier by Stephen, is an odd incident in some ways, and yet it's this very vivid description of what Jacob saw. It's all a bit Led Zeppelin-like, if I'm honest. Uh, Jacob, dream, Jacob dreams that he saw a stairway to heaven. Uh, please get the riff out of your mind now, if you can. Uh, on which the angels of the Lord were freely ascending and descending, coming and going to and from earth and back to heaven. And then God makes this promise to Jacob, similar to one he made to Abraham, namely that Jacob will have many descendants and God will bless them. And Jacob then wakes up and says fearfully these wonderful words. He says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. At first, it may seem somewhat odd choice of words, um, describing exactly where he happens to be as the house of God, giving it an almost physical um, presence and dimension. And yet the language Jacob uses points us towards this idea of the building of God as God with us and among us and in us. When we do that fun, here's the church, here's the people, open the doors, there's the people. Um, take a look at your fingers. The people represented, this mingling, entwining of different people. And this idea of God built of God's building being the mingling of God and man that we see being represented, I think, in Jacob's dream. Ever since the fall, ever since the first sin, ever since the banishment of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, there has been this action of God to bring about the restoration of the relationship between himself and mankind and to establish his kingdom here on earth. This vision, this dream of Jacob's, of a stairway between heaven and earth, represents that bringing of God into man and man into God. And Jacob honours this realisation of the building of God by naming the place Bethel, which means house of God. When we think of the metaphor of the building, of, of building a church, we see the interaction of God and man throughout the Bible. And key players such as the prophets and other figures in the Bible leading all the way up to the incarnation of Jesus, where God became fully man and lived among us. Jesus, the Son of God, was incarnated to be the Son of Man, one of the titles he's given in the Bible. The Son of Man is God mingled with man. 
He is a man of heaven, yet here on earth. A man on earth, yet still of and from heaven. Jesus' own words at the start of John's Gospel directly reference this dream of Jacob's, saying, Very truly I tell you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This mingling is the divine building, the building of God. Throughout all the generations and until the end of this age, what God has been doing and what he still will do is to accomplish this divine building. This was something written by the 20th century Chinese Christian preacher, Witness Lee, and he wrote extensively about the idea of, ming- of the mingling of God and man. And I'll sum it up again. It says, the mingling of the divine building, the building of God throughout all the generations and until the end of this age, what God has been doing and what he still will do is to accomplish this divine building God continually brings himself through Christ to man and brings man through Christ to himself. This is the building of God. I think this is at the heart of what Paul is saying to the Ephesians in the second reading that we heard. God worked to give us peace, to bring us salvation, reconciling humanity to God. And in doing so, we become as one, not set apart through different denominations or backgrounds, but one body of Christ, one church, one building of God. Now, every building has its foundations, and our faith has people like Abraham, Jacob, Moses, the prophets, the disciples, the early apostles, John the Baptist, all these people, but the cornerstone of our faith, using yet again the metaphor of building, the cornerstone of our faith, of the building of God, is Jesus Christ. As Paul says in the reading, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself. As the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Um, as well as writing about the mingling of God and man, the 20th century Christian preacher Witness Lee Uh, had a particular focus on this notion, this concept of the economy of God. And it may seem like a a strange thing to talk about. The economy of God is actually a direct quotation from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, using a Greek word for economy, which primarily signifies household management almost, um, household administration, arrangement, distribution of goods to the use and benefit of members of a household. Now, essentially, economy is the management of your own household affairs. And Witness Lee puts forward the idea that God's economy is to distribute himself, to dispense himself as the household goods to his chosen people, the family of God, as members of his household, for them to be able to possess and enjoy. This is the nature of God, to give himself 
to us, to dwell in our lives so that we are building up him here on earth. In his essence, God is perfect. God doesn't, cannot expand because there is no concept of God expanding. God is infinite. God is perfect. But in his economy, God increases, expands, and is enlarged in and through our humanity. When we become members of his family, when we accept Christ as our saviour, we become part of the enlargement and expansion of God here on earth. And the more we enjoy God in our lives and as our life, the more he increases in us and the more we become his increase. God's building is not something apart from God. It is the enlargement and expansion of God to express himself in this corporate way through all of us. For this to be made possible in our lives, Christ needs to be central. Christ must increase as we decrease. Genuine building. It's, it's, it's not merely a, a group of people here on earth coordinating together, but it's the enlargement and expansion of God himself. So when we talk about this unusual term, the building of God, which doesn't refer to an actual physical building, we are actually talking about the living, breathing, growing church. The whole body that is represented by all those who believe in God and are united as one through his spirit, dwelling richly in our lives. And we all have an active part to play in the building of God. The building in which Christ, his ministries and believers are involved is made up of people, not a material building. It's a living building made up of living, lively stones, the people of God. At the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about being made alive in Christ. Where once we were trapped by and in our sinful nature, we are now made alive with Christ by God's great love and mercy. For it is by grace you have been saved, writes Paul, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, he says, not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This economy of God, making himself known in us, dwelling in us, the expansion of God, so that he may be expanded through us, has been in progress for thousands of years and will continue to do so for eternity. And right now we are a part of that. We sang earlier, we're a part of the big family of God. We are a part of this building of God. It's almost as if the building of God becomes a verb, an action which we partake in. Made alive in Christ, living lives where God's spirit dwells in us. And so what does this building of God look like? What are its features? What exists within it? 
It contains many of the elements that we think about when we consider a physical building, some of the things we looked at earlier. It needs ministers, pastors, leaders. It needs fellowship and friendship and encouragement and support. It needs to be alive with worship. It needs to be a house for God's habitation by the Spirit. The first question that should be asked is if, is if Christ is building the house, or are we focused too much on what we think the church as the building of God should be? Not letting God lead us, but trying to lead ourselves. We pray each Sunday, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. That is the essence of what we thought about today. This is the building of God. This is Bethel. The increase of God, the enlargement of God, for God's corporate expression, made possible through the dwelling of God in our lives.